Thanks for tuning in to the Voyage Church Podcast. Our desire is that today's message will be significant for all of us on the voyage of becoming. There are incredible churches everywhere, and God, there is no competition in God's kingdom. What happens is, is they're all, if they're preaching the gospel of Jesus, they're all unique expressions of the same kingdom. And so I just want you to know, we understand this is a unique expression. We know that we don't do things maybe the way that your grandmama's church did things. And nothing against that, okay? The church I grew up in, way more traditional than this morning. A lot of the people who loved me and prayed for me growing up might have a cow at the way that we do um, worship. But Jesus is lifted up, amen? Um, and, and at the end of the day, we're going we're gonna to do what Jesus said really well. We're going to love God with all of our heart, mind, and soul. And we're going to love our neighbor as ourselves. And Jesus said the entire law hangs on these two things. And so um, Shauna always says, you know, when people want to maybe argue about theology or something like that, um, hey, we keep the main thing the main thing. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. You have to repent. We're not losing words in this church like repentance and hell and things that are in the Bible. <laughs> Amen. Um, just because we might not do things traditional, just remember repentance and heaven and hell and um, the marriage, the way that God speaks about marriage, those are not outdated things. Okay? Those are actually timeless things. God is outside of space and time. We cannot call old school that which came from someone who's not bound by time. He's always new. So this is not like, oh, come on, we need to get with the times. No, no, no. We need to get with the timeless one. That's our responsibility, okay? I haven't even started a sermon. I'm preaching better than you know. But I want you to understand that this entire series has been about what has God asked us to do? What's the unique vision in which he's... Um, an expression of his kingdom has he asked us to carry. And we just want to steward that really, really well. I was back in the room right before service with the team just praying, God, will you just help us steward that which you're doing right in front of us? And I want you to know that's your responsibility too. Will you steward the family you've been given, the, the job and the assignment God has for you in this season? And so Voyage Vision is much more about how are you walking in the things of God in your daily life than it is just about like, here's what our church does on Sundays, Okay. The voyage vision for your life as you follow Jesus. And so um, I, I want to unpack this last week today with a very simple statement um, that really, it, for some of you been around the past few weeks, you know, my wife's grandfather passed away. He was a pastor for 40 years, one church for 34 years, and um, her granny passed away the year before us moving here to plant the church. And they just had a legacy of ministry and loving people. I'll never forget, I went to their retirement service. And after the retirement service, Shauna's granny was still going and picking up older ladies in the church that she had discipled and mentored that were in need of going to a doctor's appointment. Like she wasn't, they weren't working for the church any longer. But why were they doing it? Because this wasn't about working for a church. This was about living out the kingdom of God. Amen. And so I'll never forget just from like her life, Shauna just saying one day, man, I really, when I look at scripture, I just see God giving us a way to live life well. And so that's the, that's the title of today's message, live life well. And that's really the most simple way for us to give you the, the voyage vision of how to live life well, that your marriage can be well, not, not perfect, right? Not good all the time. I would actually say things that are, when, some, when, you, when you look at someone and say, man, they lived life well. No one has ever equated living life well to their life was perfect. Their life was without struggle. 
No, we're most impressed with a life well lived that knew how to navigate the struggles and the difficulties of life. And so living life well, I believe that the principles of God, the truths of God allow us to do that. So let me give you a scripture, two different versions. First, I'll read it in the NASB, which personally, just from my personal study, I know a lot of people ask about Bible translations. I study the NASB. It's got a, it's one of the most accurate Hebrew to English and Greek to English. I would say it's even better, which, you know, there's arguments here about King James and New King James, but I think the NASB does a better job personally from studying the original language. But I'm going to read it to you in the NASB, but then I'm going to read it to you in the TPT. The TPT is really special, um, more of a transliteration, and what they've done is, is they've taken the, the language Aramaic, which would have been the language of the day that Jesus would have spoken, and they've translated the scriptures from Aramaic over. Um, that doesn't mean that the TPT is the greatest thing for you to study. It means that it can give you another perspective of the way in which it would have been said um, in, that, in that language. Does that make sense? Everybody with me? All the nerds in the house are like, yeah, everybody else is like, stop. Okay, <laughs> Proverbs 3, 3 through 4. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. I want to read you the TPT. Actually, one of our interns brought this to me the other day because he knew the, he's seen the statement on signs, the live life well, and he was like, Pastor John, you got to see this. So in the TPT, it says this. Hold on to loyal love and don't let go. And be faithful to all that you've been taught. Let your life be shaped by integrity with truth written upon your heart. That's how you will find favor and understanding with both God and men. And you will gain the reputation of living life well. I was like, huh, yeah, I gotta share, gotta share the TPT. Um, quite fitting for today. I love the fact that it says you'll gain the reputation of living life well. Um, you can't do anything to earn salvation. That's a gift freely given. But the reputation in which you have as you live out your salvation, that's up to you and I. That's up to you and I how submitted we are to the things of God and the word of God. Young people, that's up to you of how you want to live in the early days of your life making decisions, if you live with the mindset of, man, I only got one life, I'm just gonna do my thing, but you forget the fact that there is reputation. Every decision is attached to some kind of reputation. And now, I don't wanna say that in fear to make you think that God can't absolutely redeem a reputation because he can. That's what he did in the Bible all throughout. But once you've been saved, Paul says, do we go on sinning? so that grace may abound? Paul says, do we keep sinning so that we get more grace? By no means. So once you've been saved, do not let the lie of the enemy be like, well, I really do only have one life and God will forgive me. No, 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 because you are in the business and interested in gaining a reputation of a life well lived. And what does that do? That points people to Jesus. That points people to Jesus. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for today. God, I thank you for your word. God, I pray that you help me preach fast and clear. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, like one of those amens was like, amen, hurry, dude. Matthew chapter five. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Anybody ready for the blessing? Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Isn't that interesting? Just look at some of these. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, blessed are those that you, you, you can't do enough for yourself. Without God, you are hopeless. He's saying, you're blessed. As opposed to our culture would look down on people who would live in such a way. Blessed are those who mourn. Get it together. Stop crying. Just stop. You're still crying over that loss of that family. And God says, actually, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the gentle, not our culture, right? No harsh. This is just how I am. I just say it like it is. Well, then you're also not blessed. Say, say it like it is and be not blessed. That's okay. <laughs> blessed are the gentle. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. In other words, and I love the, the blessing here. It's not blessed are the gentle and you'll make it to heaven. Blessed are the gentle and there's things in the earth that God will grant you. There's access that God will give you. He won't give people with hard, harsh hearts. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who are willing to be open and authentic enough for the world to look at them and say, hey, I'm actually not satisfied with anything in this life. But if we live in pride, we want people to know, oh, I'm confident. Look at my boat. Look at my house. Look what I got. I'm, I'm good. No, no, no. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There's nothing in this life that can satisfy me. Blessed are the merciful, for they, for they shall receive mercy. Definitely not our culture. Um, no, they need to get what they deserve. Aren't you thankful that God didn't give us what we deserved? Amen. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Young people, you will, I promise you, if you choose right now in middle and high school to live pure, you are going to get made fun of. It is going to happen. I lived it. I remember in ninth grade, math class, substitute teacher, so all my classmates convinced the teacher, yeah, our teacher lets us sit outside and do our worksheets all the time, right? So I, I followed the crowd, Lord forgive me. Went outside, right? We're not doing our worksheet. Big conversation gets brought up about a party, way people live. And I just remember, making, I'll never forget, this, this, this young man, I'm not gonna say his name because we have podcasts and God can lead anybody to it. Um, <laughs> this young man um, sitting there and making the statement they were talking about this weekend. He was talking about this thing with this girl, whatever. And, you know, he brought up his parents and like church and all that. And he was like, um, he was like, yeah, like saving yourself for marriage. Like it's the most ridiculous thing. And I, I hate the fact that I was so submitted and surrendered to God because God didn't even let me make a choice. Like, have you ever accidentally thrown up a word and you're like trying to get it back out of the air and it's too late? It's gone. So here I am as a ninth grader sitting there. He says that, and, and, and I, I wore all throughout high school a purity ring that my parents had given me, and they talked me through purity and the reality of it and all those kinds of things. And I know some people have bad experiences with that, but mine was good. I presented it to my wife on our wedding day as we put the rings on. But I, it, it, I literally, God didn't give me a choice. It was just, 
He said, yeah, it's ridiculous. I would never do that. I am. I was like, oh, God, it's gone. It's too late now. It's out there. And look, I'm just telling you my story. And I'm also not saying that if your story was his story that God can't redeem, you get born again. Your life is brand new, okay? I'm just telling you this is my story. And I hope maybe for a parent or a young person to know, look, I I didn't miss out by choosing to live pure. If anything, I'm walking in a season of more confidence and more hope than many people get to walk in, not because of who I am, but because of my submission to who he is. And so I remember making that statement, and it sparked up a conversation of the gospel. And I got to share the gospel with classmates that I had never shared the gospel with before. And do you know my access point? Purity. Purity. Now, don't get me wrong. I was made fun of many a times for, as a ninth grader, wearing what looked very much like a wedding ring. <laughs> I was made fun of much. But... It's worth it. Blessed are the pure in heart. And this is, this is the best part, for they will see God. Fast forward years later, that wasn't like, you know, a very quote unquote, whatever popular means, popular kid in high school. But, um, you know, I played some sports. And so I was around people who, you know, everybody was kind of like, oh, so, so, whatever. And fast forward, married to Shauna. So several years back, a friend of mine from high school said, hey, will you officiate my wedding? I'm getting married in South Carolina um, this rooftop in Greenville, and we were like, yeah, that'd be awesome, so we go. Well, he um, was a friend who was in my youth group, loved the Lord, still loves the Lord, and, but he was really well connected with some other people who maybe would have been quote-unquote more popular and definitely not living for Jesus, if you know what I mean, and I'll never forget getting there for the rehearsal, and some of those people were there, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. I haven't seen them in a long time, um, you know, and some like, hey, man, good to see you, and others like, oh, that's you. <laughs> Sorry, didn't age well, um, but you know, just that kind of stuff happens post high school. And I'll never forget, though, in the reception, um, Shauna and I, like, look, I, I don't drink. And, and I don't, like, if you drink, like, whatever, I, the Bible says being drunk is a sin. So if you want to know what the Bible says, getting drunk is a sin. If you want to try to figure out where all the lines are, do you. It's not the church where I'm going to give you a bunch of convictions. You get with the Lord, you follow him, let the Holy Spirit convict you. I just don't. It's just a conviction of mine. I don't. Um, and for Shauna and I, we didn't have any alcohol at our wedding, and I just still to this day believe we have one of the best dance floors ever. Actually, Zach and Brianna, y'all's wedding was freaking incredible. No alcohol, and just dance floor was, was packed. Um, but Shauna and I will get out there, and we're dancing and going. And, you know, most people, it's like, oh, I need a little bit before I got the confidence to get out there. You know what I mean? And so one of these guys specifically finally got enough confidence. He's out there. We're all dancing. You know, obviously, the... The, the service has been done, and he comes up to me. You know, he's a little sluggish and stuff, but he's talking to me. He's like, man, that was awesome. He was like, I, John, man, so good to see you. <clears throat> man, he's like, I'm, I'm going to get married to old girl. It was always weird when someone says that. Old girl? <laughs> Why do you call her that? Um, He's like, but would you, and now again, the ring thing, the like being made fun of, definitely he's one of the culprits, okay? It's fine, I'm good. I live in grace and you love him, right? Whatever. Hey, would you, would, would you do our premarital counseling? I just remember thinking to myself, how the tables have turned. <laughs> and do you want to know what even opened that door? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. And so here's what I want you to see with this passage 
is living life well according to the truths found in Scripture is connected to blessing. Living life well is the fact that there are blessings that God promises, but all of them are promised through difficulty. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You don't get to be comforted if there's no mourning, right? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. You don't get to see God unless in the midst of an impure culture you fight for purity. So, so there is decisions to be made. And, and what I've found about living life well is that I don't need every circumstance to be well to live life well. Difficulty, risk, sacrifice, and struggle actually allow the richness of a life in Christ to be fully experienced in the midst of a broken world. Only followers of Jesus. You can go find religious people of all different faiths all over the world, but only people who follow Jesus and have been satisfied in Christ can live in a broken world and yet live life well. Because everything that, every blessing that I receive from living life well, I actually can take with me into eternity. But every person who strives to live life well in a worldly context acquires things that they cannot take. And so I want you to know when I talk about living life well, I am not saying live the good life. I'm not saying, is uh, Jade in here? I don't know if Jade's in here. I think he's working at Voyagers. Um, Jade's from Nebraska. And he was telling me when you pull into his town, there's a little quote on the thing that says where the living is easy. I want you to know, living life well in the kingdom of God is not where the living is easy. Wrong kingdom, okay? Opposite. This is going to be a fight. The Bible calls it the good fight of faith. My mother-in-law always says, it's a fight. But baby, remember, it's a good fight. You ever been in a bad fight? Like, obviously, if you fight and you lose, it's a bad fight. But have you ever fought and won, but then still got in trouble? That wasn't a good fight, was it? It's a good fight of faith. A good fight of faith. Um, I want you to look Matthew 16, 25. Um, it says, for whoever, uh, I don't have this on the screen, but just write that down. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I want you to know that everything the world says about living life well is the opposite of the way that you get a life well lived. Because if it's about you, you try to save it. If it's about him, you're willing to lose it only to find it. Anybody confused yet? When you want a good life and it's about you and your comforts, you're saving it, you're hoarding it, you're holding on to it, you're protecting it. But when you find Jesus, you realize that, that now I don't need any barriers, I just want him and so I'm willing to lose my life. This is why even if you're in the room today and you're like, I'm not sure about this whole God thing and I don't really know if it's real, that's fine, but I could historically take you to men and women who were martyred and killed in that century, people who saw Jesus with their own eyes. Peter, who wrote many scriptures, who was crucified on a cross like his Lord Jesus, but said that he wasn't worthy to be crucified the same way. History tells us that he, he made the decision. And we have historical documentation to prove that Peter was hung upside down on a cross. So now what do you do? Well, we only have two options. Either he met the Christ 
and Jesus was everything that he said he was, and Peter was willing to go to the point of death, or it was a hoax, and Peter said, I'll just die to make everybody else continue to believe it. I'm gonna be honest, y'all. If it's not real, if it's just a hoax, I can maybe trick people for a while, but to the point of losing my life, but see, Peter was willing to lose it because he had found it. It was Jesus. Faith, this faith life is risky. I heard this quote recently. Risk is not just a part of life. It is life. The place between your comfort zone and your dream, I would say your God dream, for you is where life takes place. Have you ever tried to think about like, okay, we'll risk it this time, as opposed to the thought of like, once I say yes to Jesus, it's all a risk, right? It's all a risk. But, but honestly for us, like here in America, it's, it's really easy to follow Jesus and not live risky. And I want you to know, in the early church, that was not possible. This gospel that you and I carry was given to a group of people that were like, hey, this is the, the gospel, meaning good news. This is the, the goodest news you're ever going to hear. Okay, no one laughed. That's fine. This is it. For the Jewish people, this is everything you've been waiting for. It's the Messiah. For the Gentiles, you can be grafted. This is the greatest news. But just know it's probably going to kill you. Jesus writes, we just read, hey, they're going to hate you and insult you. And I don't know if we talk about the gospel like that. And look, we are in, uh, I'm grateful for the nation we live in. There is less persecution now than there is in other places. Persecution will grow, the Bible promises it. You have to decide, are you trying to save your life? Or are you willing to lose it and find it? So when I, when I talk about persecution, I want to ask you this question, because if you're a Christian in the room, I really think we need to think through this. Persecution. Have you ever personally met someone who was persecuted for their faith? I want you to think about that. Have you ever personally met someone who says, hey, I got arrested and put in jail and beaten for my faith in Christ? Have you ever met someone personally? And I want you to know, because probably the majority of the room has not, it makes it really easy for us to think the gospel is living is easy. But it's not. Because you and I live in the smallest percentage of the world when it comes to carrying the gospel that every, almost everywhere else, there is some form of persecution. And please know, young people, persecution was not someone making fun of me for wearing a purity ring. That wasn't persecution, okay? That's just called me making a statement that's anti-culture. I'll never forget when I was on staff at a church in Louisiana. A man named Bubba and his wife, some good old Cajuns, got saved, packed up, and went to Africa. And they would come back to our church. And, like, and when I say like went to Africa, like they literally spent time meeting people to say, show us a village where like there's no language. They don't even have a written language. Show us places that need the gospel, and they would go. And I'll never forget them coming back one day to our church and sharing and speaking about how they had recently been arrested. But when I think arrested, I think like a, like a jail. But they were arrested in a village. So the cell was made out of bamboo. 
but all the guys around, it was a circular cell, had AK-47s, and they were locked in for bringing this outside information, this gospel. Now, you need to understand, this village they went to, when they said the name Jesus to these people, these people were like, cool, this guy Jesus, sounds like he's done something. Can he, can he come see us? Why, why can't he just come talk to us? They never heard the name before, never heard this story before. And so here Bubba and his wife are inside this bamboo prison cell. And I mean, it's pretty much like, who are you going to call? <laughs> no one. Much less do you even have a satellite phone that works. And that, like he said, our only option was just to begin to sing hymns and spiritual songs in our hearts to God, just like Paul and Silas did when they were in prison. He said, we sang all the way till the sun went down. He said, we had fallen asleep and uh, up against some of the bamboo, he said, and I woke up and I saw one man asleep on the ground and then one gun leaned up against the side and everyone else was gone. And, you know, they had twine around it. And so Bubba somehow MacGyver was able to get in there and break the twine and they got out. I mean, they're telling us the story. And I just, I'm gonna be honest with you. I sat on the front row. I was the youth pastor on staff at the church and I was like, this is the first time I'm meeting someone personally who's been persecuted because of the gospel of Jesus. And it wrecked me. It made me realize I've just accepted the gospel and good, my sins are forgiven because I just don't want to go to hell and the living was easy. And I just want you to know that living life well is not the fact of, I'm not telling everybody pack up and go find a country where you can be killed for preaching Jesus. If the Lord calls you to do it, you better do it. What I'm saying is you better make sure you, you are constant. And I think about this often. And if you've been around Voyage Church enough, you've probably heard me say like, pastor always talks about like the days are gonna get worse. They are. Jesus promised it. He's not a God that he should lie. I think about this often because I'm constantly trying to get myself in a place of thinking about the reality of what will I do as a father of four, as a husband? Jesus, it has to be you. It has to be, and I, and I know I'm pressing this, but here's what I, this is why I'm pressing it. You can't find life unless you lose yours. This is the essence of the gospel. What's wild is many of these people who wrote these scriptures all suffered major persecution. And guess how they lived? They lived life really well. They, like look, the apostle Paul persecuted, arrested, beaten, snake-bitten, shipwrecked. He lived life really well, healing the sick, raising the dead, preaching the gospel. He lived life really well. I don't find people living life well outside of difficulty and strife. And so to build a life, that this is what, what I wanna give you just to kind of wrap all this, to build a life rooted on the word of God is what gives you and I the capacity to carry God's truth to people who are in need. And so write this down if you're taking notes. Because I know there's a lot of people who like church, and, and that's cool, I, I like that you like church, but um, church isn't Jesus and Jesus isn't church. Jesus died for the church. The church is the body of believers who gather because of Jesus. So it all boils back down to Jesus. But I want you to write this down. Church is not about attending. It is about tending to the garden of my soul. Do you know why I get in this room? I don't have to be the one preaching all the time. Do you know why I've been in these rooms for over 25 years consistently, like with my own volition and decision? 
was like sixth grade. I, started, I was playing drums in church, and I wanted to be there. Now, I didn't want to go to youth choir. Mom and dad made me go to youth choir. That was dumb at 4.30. But I wanted to be in service. But you want to know why? Because I knew that there was something that happened there that couldn't happen anywhere else. But it's because in that place was the word of God. In that place was the presence of God. And it wasn't about attending and checking off a box. It was about the garden of my soul needs to be tended to, and I need to see how to do it. Because I'm going to be honest, what I know about this now is not what I knew way back then. But I was sitting underneath people who did know and around other people who were living it out because church was the place where I was learning how to tend to my soul how to submit to the word of God, how to, hey, young married couple, how to find another married couple in the house who's been married 50, 60 years, or, or an older married couple who's only been married 10 years and they went through terrible divorce, but now they're in their first marriage submitted to God, and you get around them and find out how they're living and what they're doing so that you can figure out how to tend to your marriage. This is why we have the kingdom of God. I don't know if you've ever heard this idea of sandcastle kings or queens. But we live in a culture of a bunch of sandcastle kings and queens. And Luke 6, 46 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. And then if you jump to Matthew 7 in the same vein, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. I want you to write down, hears and. Hears and. It says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice like a wise man who built his house on a rock, the, the rain came, streams rose, the winds blew, beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine does not put them into practice. It's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. I'm not interested in being a sandcastle king. I'm not interested in building my own empire, my own thing, or a comfortable, easy life. Because at the end of the day, the winds are going to come. The rain is going to come. The river is going to rise. And if, it, if my life is not built on the rock and the foundation of God's word, there is no life well lived. There is no life well lived. Because what I found most about life well lived, as I've done quite a few funerals for for people who live long lives recently. It's a life worth sitting around long enough to talk about, to be inspired by. We're not called to be sandcastle kings and queens. And so being planted in a local church matters. And, and, and I just wanna unpack this for just a second because people will tell me, well, and, and obviously if you've been around church, you've heard it. Well, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. You are correct, because Christian means little Christ. You need Christ to be a Christian, okay? But if you want to still be a Christian <laughs> in the next 20 years, you're going to need to find a church. David said, those who plant themselves in the house of the Lord will flourish. Or you might end up making it a Christian. You just limp your way into heaven. I'm here. <laughs> what happened? And God's like, I gave you the local church, and you never showed up. That's what happened. You tried to figure out a lot of things on your own that I had people in that church down the road that were supposed to mentor you and disciple you and cover you. And so I meet people, I mean, I don't, I don't need to go to church and 1,000% and it's rooted in a distrust because they were hurt in church somewhere, shape and form, right? And I get it, look, I've been there. I, if, I'm not even, I'd literally have to have them cut it off the podcast if I said some of the things that have hurt me in church. Ways that I've been 
treated from when I was in uh, middle and high school all the way up to when I've worked on staff at churches. I get it. But the church is not Jesus. Jesus is Jesus. But he uses the church, broken and messy and all. He uses the church. And so I just want to say this, though. Let's say you're the person today. You're only here because she made you come or he made you come or whatever. You're like, I'm just here. I'll just one Sunday. She'll be good for like the next, you know, seven Sundays, and then I'll come back again. If that's you and you're like, I don't need the church to be a Christian. Okay, let's just say you got it. Can I just invite you into something? I've been spending the last few Wednesday nights with our young people on Wednesdays. And man, God's just moving. The spirit of God just fell last Wednesday night. Young people on their face repenting before the message was even preached. You might be like, I don't need to go to church. They need you here. They need to see men and women of God who are going to live this out. They need you here. So look, if it's not about like coming to make sure that you're good and maybe you are super Christian, superhero, and you got it. But there's someone in here who needs to see you live it out. And that's why that someone in here needs to see you go through the struggles of life and consistently choose Jesus. And that is how a life well lived is not just lived, but also seen. And so let me, um, bless him. Worship team, you guys come up. This is what happens when we just start saying worthy is the lamb for 45 minutes. <laughs> I mean, we're going to do it in eternity in heaven, but we just, we don't have eternity right now just yet. <laughs> Write this down if you're taking notes. What is the word of God? And I'm giving you this because I want to close with you knowing that a life well lived has to be a life well built on the word of God. So what is the word of God? It's historically accurate. If you're in here today and you struggle with, with Christianity and faith, just know that the book we read is not fictitious. Uh, I know we all grew up maybe around Disney culture, but um, that this is not Disney. Archaeologically proven, historically proven. It's full of proven principles. So one of the things about, I love about the Bible is there are principles that work even if you don't believe in God. It's infallible, inerrant. That means it's incapable of error. You ever, have you ever watched someone die on the hill of a certain translation of the Bible? It's gotta be this one. It's the only true one. And I'm like, Jesus is the word. Now, now we need to know the word of God and we need to watch out for, for false teaching and all of that. But, but if, if we're talking like a different variation, like I read you, the NASB and the TPT. And there's no way you can read that verse in both those translations and say that it brought you to two totally different conclusions. Because don't you dare read text and think that the Holy Spirit isn't strong enough to still get to the person what it needs to say. I think that when people die on that hill, they're more committed to text than they are to Jesus. Jesus is the word made flesh. Look, I'm, I'm committed to this thing, rightly dividing it. But don't you dare divide it without inviting the Holy Spirit in. It's infallible. It's absolute truth. It's the final authority. And one of my favorite things is, I don't know if you know this, but this book's alive. Did you know since they started keeping the top 10 best-selling books that the Bible has never moved from number one? I don't care when Lord of the Rings was the craze or Harry Potter, whatever it may have been. It's not moved from number one. Why? Because it's the only book that actually is alive. This is what I love about it so much, is that I could choose to read the same scripture every single day for 21 days. And do you know what happens for 21 days? Somehow I get something different. And you want to know why? Because it's alive. Go out the coffee with your friend once. 
go out to coffee with your friend twice. The experience will be different. Why? Because they're alive. I can catch it on an inhale. I can catch it on an exhale. It's alive. And so the word of God is worth us building our life on. And there's this, I'm just going to close with this story. If you'll stand to your feet. Um, and then I'm going to read a statement over you as we respond this morning. But in, in Luke chapter 7, I'm not going to read the whole passage. You can go verses 1 through 10. It's about the Roman centurion. Now, the Roman centurion is a very interesting passage because the Roman centurion, um, well, he's Roman. Jesus is not. Jesus is a Jew. And what's crazy about this story is, you know, there's only two times in the Gospels where Jesus gets amazed by faith. One of them is this passage, and another one is in his own hometown where people have a lack of faith, and he's amazed by the lack of faith. But this story is very interesting because it does not say that the Roman centurion comes up to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, will you please come to my house, and will you please heal my servant who is sick? Will you please come into the house? This whole conversation happens, and basically what ends up going down is the Roman centurion, who's a military man, he responds and says, Jesus, you don't even need to come to my house, for I am a man of authority and a man under authority. And in the ranks of the military authority I'm in, I know that if I say a word, the person I'm getting an order to doesn't have to be present for that authority to make it there. Some of y'all read this passage, and you never caught this before. The Roman centurion knows that he can give an order to line somewhere else and it will happen because of the authority he stands in. Someone from higher authority that he doesn't have to see face to face and he can't FaceTime them, Rome. He knows that if the word gets there, he's got to walk in it because authority just stepped in. The Roman centurion looks at a Jewish carpenter that he knows there's something divine about him, and he says, Jesus, you don't even need to come to my house. You say the word, and I know my servant will be healed. Now, now, now listen, 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 listen. This is why it's so important for you and I to build our life on the word of God. The Roman centurion made a decision. Remember, Jesus is the word made what? Flesh. So the, the flesh word was in front of the Roman centurion. And he literally says, you don't need to come to my house. Now, I don't know about you, but do you know how many times I've read this and said, Jesus, if I could just see you in the flesh, I would believe. I'll, I'll, I will do everything for a life well lived. I'll be all in, Jesus. Just let me see you. The Roman centurion had the opportunity to see Jesus walk in his house, but he believed the word from Jesus so much, he said, don't even bother coming, just say the word. Many of us ask to have what the Roman centurion could have had, which was Jesus in the flesh. And the Roman centurion went with the word. If he could do it while Jesus was in flesh, so can you. The word will work. The word will work. I'm here to tell you, church, this whole voyage vision, do you wanna know what it's really about? It's about people having a life well lived on the foundation of the word of God. And guess what? You're gonna have some tough days ahead of you. Jesus promised it. In this life, you'll have trouble. Are you building it on this? Man, you would much rather have that trouble with this under your feet. Jesus, just say the word. Just say the word.
Let me read, you over, let me read this over your church, and, and it's on the screens. And for some of you, you're like, I want to read the Bible consistently, but I'm confused, and I don't know how to interpret it, and I don't know how to understand it. I'm here to tell you, you've got to start. This is not like, man, if it's convenient. And here's what happens. We say, well, I don't have time to read the Bible and then, you know, live, all, live my life and all the stuff I got going on. Problem number one, you think the Bible is apart from your life. I got to read the Bible and then live my life. It is life. It's words are life. We don't compartmentalize this thing. Everything that flows into my marriage, into my kids, into my friendships, it comes from this. This is life. It's life. And so don't buy the lie of the enemy that, well, I don't understand it. Okay, you won't understand it until you do. But I promise you, you won't start understanding it if you don't. Let's read this. God finds a way to interpret it for all who need to hear. When we yield ourselves to speak his words by the power of his spirit, astonishing things can happen. For far too long, the word has been interpreted rather than proclaimed. We have gotten into the habit of passing it through the filter of human experiences and social preferences and current prejudices and limited counsel of human mind rather than simply declaring what was so powerfully and eternally spoken and recorded. We've interpreted the gospel rather than expressed it. We question his, great, we question his greatness when we dull the edges of his heavenly word. And there's some of you who have been hurt in church by someone who misused this. And I want you to hear what happens and how the Lord wants to heal it. When people have been hurt by what was meant to heal, they flinch under its influence. There's some of you who come into church just like, they just, they just want money. They're just gonna do this. They're just Because you were hurt somewhere, you flinch under the influence of God's word. But just stay in the presence of God long enough to find peace, comfort, grace, Mercy. Because I promise you, if those words aren't coming to your mind when it comes to the word of God and the things of God, it's not God. It's not God. If you're feeling condemnation and not conviction to a greater life, it's not God. Jesus brought the sacred, hidden words and the power of God to the people in the streets, homes, and marketplace but he did not allow the sacred to be treated as common, even though he treated the common people as sacred. Church, we can study the Bible all we want. We can know all the verses. If it doesn't empower us to love people really well, we've missed it. We've missed the tangible life of Jesus. Religious interpretation of scripture has created a generation of wise fools who know everything and do nothing. I'll read it one more time because it's that good. Religious interpretation of scripture has created a generation of wise fools who know everything and do nothing. James says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but a doer. My favorite things about a lot of the young people in our church is they're just, they're devouring the word. One of ours the other day, he sent me, he wrote a mini sermon the other day. And he like sent me some stuff and I'm reading through it. And I'm like, yeah, that's, 
If you say it that way, that's a little heretical, but I love it. Come on. And I just see a hungry young guy who's just devouring the word. Guess what? He's in the house. So he's going to be covered and he's going to be given healthy theology. He's going to be discipled. But guess what he's doing? He's devouring the word of God. Let's understand it. Let's live it out. And so can I just declare that at Voyage Church and the vision that God's given, we're not a generation of wise fools who know everything and do nothing. I would rather do a lot and know less than know a lot and do less. And isn't that how God works? Isn't that who he uses? The ones that are just willing to do what he says. So simply put, today, you want to know what it means to live life well? Do what it says. I believe it. All of it. It's never failed me. So faithful, so constant, so consistent. But are you just going to wait till Sundays when a preacher gives it to you, or are you going to go devour it yourself? Because the days of church and coming and listening to someone else talk about the Bible, and that's all you ever get, they're over. They're over. Those religious ways are done. They're lifeless. They're dead. It is time for the people of God to begin to walk on the firm foundation of the word of God. It's time. You can know it. You can live it. I don't know if anybody remembers the old hymn, It Is Well. Anybody remember that, that hymn, It Is Well? My favorite thing about living life well is it doesn't have to be well. But when it's not well, because of the foundation of Scripture, I can say it is well. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what you've been trying to figure out, what's shaky what hurt, pain you have. Can I tell you? Because of the word of God and the promises of God for you, it is well. It is well. Build your life on it. You're going to make it through the storm. You're going to make it through the wind. You're going to make it through the rain. You're going to make it through when the river rises because you are built on a rock, a firm foundation. Your marriage is going to make it through. Don't you dare give up. Don't you dare give up. The enemy wants nothing. You're going to make it through. Your son's coming home. He's not going to be addicted forever. He's going to bring freedom to thousands. Don't you dare give up. You didn't miss it when you were in your 20s, and now you're in your 50s, and you're like, I should have taken the step. You can still take the step. Why? Because you got a firm foundation under you. So, Father, right now in these next few moments, God, we declare, we declare that it is well. It is well. God, we want to live a life well lived on the foundation of your word and your truth. And so, God, may we walk in that. May we stand on it. May we build our life on the rock, the firm foundation. In Jesus' name. And if you need to come to the altar and have a moment with the Lord, if you've never repented of your sin and turned to Jesus, today's the day. Today's the day that in the midst of difficulty and pain, you respond with, it is well. Because of Jesus, the Christ, it is well can live and build on a firm foundation. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure to check us out on thevoyage.church to stay updated on everything God is doing in our city.